0: Good morning. This red light on, there it is. Good deal. My name is Brian Abbey. Uh, Some of you may recognize that name, or from yesteryear, remember that I used to be the youth pastor back in the day. So 19, I think 97, so late uh, late 90s and early 2000s, um, I got to I got the privilege of being here. Back then it was First DPC, obviously New Hope now. Um, It is good to be back. I was telling Jim Brister on the way in, I was like, I can't remember the last time that I was in this building. I know that I did a few weddings and um, things like that, uh, but it's probably been a few years. Uh, I've gotten to know Ruben over the last year and a half or so. I I still lead in youth ministry, um, just at networking, and and so I've gotten to uh, do a few mod pizzas with Ruben um, and keep up with the stories. My parents are here um, as well, and so it's just fun. Whoa! Fun to be back, and uh, there are many stories that uh, took place in my life that that I just see as fond memories. Um, and we stories, right? You like stories, people? In the, okay, I see seven hands, so I'm going to go ahead and tell stories then today as well. I have one right out of the right out of the shoot that I'll um, that I'll share. I'm coming out of college, um, and I'll even give a little brief history. I I uh, became a Christian. Through Young Life, uh, my se- going into my senior year at Kent Ridge High School, any KR people here? Some I, I, This is the youth section over here, sort of a KR person, so that means you're a running start and you don't, don't do not Kent Ridge really anymore. Um, it's good to see the youth sitting over here. That was a tradition that was a tradition when I started attending here too as a high school senior. So um, my senior became a Christian uh, through through Young Life. And immediately went to Nelson Middle School uh, for a youth group night, my first time invited to a youth group night because that's where the youth were meeting during the summer. And uh, the first day for me at youth group happened to be the first day uh, for a gentleman by the name of Steve Wythe who was a youth pastor here for a year. And so his first day and my first day uh, lined up so we both were strangers and uh, new, to the, new to the club. And so we thought, man, this is, this is perfect. Well, Steve, my senior year, basically introduced me to youth ministry, and so I went off to college thinking, hey, I want to be a teacher, but I want to be involved with youth ministry, and that just kind of flipped uh, flipped on its head during my college years, and I decided I want to be a youth pastor. So coming out of college, I moved to a place called Roseburg, Oregon. People familiar with where Roseburg is? On I-5, you're going down south between uh, Eugene and Grants Pass. If you blink, you miss it. Um, I was the youth pastor at Melrose Community Church, coming out of college. And at that church, when I walked into the building, you can see how much this church supported missions because they had, you know, kind of, hey, welcome to Melrose, and then just this huge map that says the missionaries that we support. And there's pins all over that map, and this church just really, pridefully, in a good, in a good pride, um, supported missions. And they were really excited, and, and when asking uh, this church kind of what's my primary task, they said, we want you to get students to love missions. I want them to love Jesus, I want them to love their Great, but we want you to really get them to love missions. So you can hit that first slide. Um, That was the main main task that I had, make students love missions. Well, I thought mission trips are really fun. I'd been on a couple uh, during college and I thought, I know how I can get them to love missions. I'm just going to take them on like the ultimate destination trip. And so I'd always wanted to go to Australia, so that makes sense, right? Take the kids on a mission trip to Australia. (laughs) So I decided uh, to look into uh, our map at the Melrose Community Church missions wall, and there was no missionaries in in Australia. So that was kind of a bummer. Um, But there was one in Papua New Guinea, and I thought, close enough. (laughs) So... I ended up calling the missionaries, and back then, you know, there's long-distance tolls and all that type of stuff. had to figure out what hour of the night I needed to call, and I I talked to the missions uh, uh, couple that was there. Well, I talked to the the wife, and she said, oh, my husband's out on the field right now, and I just explained to her what we were wanting to do and come over and get, you know, students involved in missions. Um, And she said, well, you know, the back of our house, uh, there's tons of bushes." And um, you guys could probably come and cut down all that blackberry bushes and and do some other landscaping around our property. And I thought, kids don't even like cutting down blackberries in their own backyard. Why are we going to travel, you know, $2,000 per person to go over there? So I knew that that was not the way to get our kids to love missions, even though we were going to get to go to Australia. So I came back and I thought, I need to, I need to reinvent what we're going to do to get our students to love missions. And I... Uh, my wife was off at work one morning as a good youth pastor. I was just laying in bed watching TV. <coughs> no offense, Ruben. Um, and the CBS version of Good Morning America was on. I think it's called CBS This Morning. And there was a guy, a correspondent by the name of um, uh, uh, Steve Hartman. That's his name. My, my parents were going to buy you for me. Um, so Steve Hartman is standing with a, a dart in his hand and a map of the United States behind him. And he said, I am going to throw this dart at the map of the United States. And wherever it lands, I'm going to go, and I'm going to take a camera crew, we're going to open up a phone book and point at some random person in this phone book, and I'm going to tell you that everyone has a story. So that's what he did. He threw it, and let's just say it landed in Podunk, Nebraska. I don't know if that's an actual town, but you guys get the gist. Lands in Podunk, Nebraska, he goes, opens up the phone book, and Pete Nelson is the name that he gets, comes, comes across, and he, this three or four minute segment tells the story of Pete Nelson. He goes to Pete Nelson's work, he goes to Pete Nelson's pub, he goes to Pete Nelson's uh, neighbors, and, and we hear this whole story around this random guy by the name of Pete Nelson. After three or four minutes, it's like, I love Pete Nelson! You know, and he had a compelling story. He knew like his long-distance relatives, knew Dwight Eisenhower, and, and, and everybody has a story. And while I was watching this, I thought, we can do this with missions. I can literally get a dart, throw it at the, uh, a map of the United States, wherever it lands, I can take a group of students, train them up beforehand, but take them there and share our story as we get to know their story. So I went back to our missions board, and they thought that was crazy. Fortunately, at that same time, First CPC was going through a youth pastor change, and they said, "Hey, we want you to come up here and be a youth pastor." And because they said no to me in Roseburg, I said, "See, see you later. I'm out." That's not why I left, but came back up here, and I pitched it to him, uh, at First CPC. I said, "Hey, I would like to do this." And Angie DX probably remembering this right now. Um, we went up to Southeast Alaska for our first mission trip. Um, that were rural, uh, rural-oriented missions. And we'd go into these towns, and we'd provide uh, vacation Bible school in the morning. We would do service projects in the afternoon. And then at night, we would do a youth outreach. And so I went in with the, with the pretense that, uh, that we could go in and get to know the stories of all these people that we get to interact with, and ultimately we'd be able to get to share our story. VBS, being able to connect with you know the old gals in that church that were leading VBS each year, the breath of fresh air for us coming in. Some of you remember, may remember that we did this with Mineral every year as well. Mineral Washington, we'd go in and, and do uh, some form of this style of mission trip. And so that first year in 1998 took six teams into rural Alaska, places like Huna and Angoon and and Skagway and Han- these different places to do these mission trips with uh, these teams. I could only be in one place. I was in Skagway, and that meant I had my volunteer leaders essentially being youth pastors in all these other communities because I believed everyone has a story and we'd have the opportunity to share our stories and listen to theirs as well. I say this to say that what happened in Alaska... Is not just true for Alaska and all these other subsequent mission trips that we went on. Everyone has a story. You and I have a story. The question is are we taking time to learn other people's stories? Are we looking to share our story that we have? Our testimony. Some people have heard that that word testimony before. It's your story of Christ's transformation in our lives we have the opportunity maybe not to do VBS and, and sports outreach and youth outreach and, and uh, service projects, but in our workplace, in our kids' sports, in our families, we have the opportunity to, to do mission. Because mission is not just in Nebraska or Alaska. Mission is here, there, and anywhere. Today's passage, we're going to look at a story, a narrative in Mark chapter 2, where we get to hear a story story. Of, of a gentleman whose life was really transformed. So go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2, and you can see it on the, on the slides uh, uh, in front of you as well. If you have your Bible or Bible app, follow there, or you can go and look on the screen as well. It says this, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, lowered the mat the man was lying on. Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So the question, what principles can we learn today for our everyday mission that we have here in Kent and Renton and Auburn and Maple Valley, Covington, wherever you're coming from? What can we see? Well, I've got three kind of takeaways that doesn't mean I'm wrapping up the sermon yet, just so you know. Okay? We have three takeaways that I would like to introduce. The first one is that this was completely counterintuitive. What's it look like for us to be counterintuitive? Here's what I mean by that. Jesus had, had just started his earthly ministry. There had been a few miracles that had taken place. You can read that in the fast-paced gospel of Mark. Um, some lives are already being... Uh, some, some sick people are already being healed... So when he returns here, there is a gathering of people because they had heard that Jesus was back in Capernaum. And so people are gathering at this house. So I picture it, let's just say Reuben represents the house over here. People are all gathering in this house. There was some men, at least four of them. There was four men carrying them out at least. But I just picture this group of men, these friends, that as everybody's gathering at this house, they're literally going the other way. And everyone's going, hey, no, no, that Jesus is this way. We got, we'll be back, we'll be back. And they jog and they're, they're motivated by going against the flow and they go to this, this guy's house who's paralyzed. So he's lying there at his house. They, they open up his thatched door and they said, we've got to get you to Jesus. And he says, okay, let's go. And they grab the mat. I call him Bob because I just pictured them running and he's just bobbing on the mat. And so Bob is on this mat and they're taking him to this house. And I picture as they come around the last corner and, and they see the house and how crowded it is because it says even outside the doors that there is no room. I can see maybe the discouragement on some of their faces as, as these four men are carrying it. Ah, man, this is going to be hard. And they get to the front door, the, the, wherever the, the back door of, of, of where they're, they're trying to get in. they start saying, excuse me, pardon me, we, we want to get our friend to Jesus. And nobody's letting them do that. In fact, they're abhorred by this. They're terrified that are are trying to bring in this, this sinner. Because what you need to know is that this paralyzed man would have been seen as somebody with a scarlet letter. We don't want to touch him. We don't want to talk to him. Because they think that he is in this condition because of his sins or the sins of his father. Generational sins. They think that he's been stricken with being paralyzed because of how bad he is. And so, as these friends are saying, We get him to Jesus, everyone's saying, We don't want you even near here. They couldn't do the crowd surfing thing or anything like that. So, they, they kind of come back and they get, I just pictured them in a huddle and the engineers, you know, Boeing and stuff in this area. So, I just picture it, we're engineers and they're saying, Hey, ready, break, you know, like a, a football huddle. And somebody says, Get a rope. This does not thrill Bob. Somebody says, Get a ladder. And one guy gets up on the roof, and I just picture him getting down and crawling and listening. And he says, right here, right here, I can hear the teacher teaching. And they said, dig a hole. So he gets the ax or shovel or whatever it is, and he starts pulling back the roof. And meanwhile, Jesus is preaching, and you see the dust particles start flowing down. And you hear the thud, thud, thud on the roof. The crowd is, is listening to Jesus. And then all of a sudden this light opens up and there's this dude that's just swinging back and forth in front of Jesus. I think that they exchange a wink, a holy wink at this point, right? Jesus is like, I'm going to do something right here. Completely counterintuitive. It wasn't supposed to happen. They got very creative. They couldn't get him to by going through the front door. Do you know that the front door to most people's souls is not an unlocked door? We have to get creative. Inviting to the event, but he was gathering this way towards where Reuben is here. They were counterintuitive. They went the other way. They couldn't get him in, so they got creative and got up on the roof. They weren't just about the event; they were about the relationship. I would say this as we get creative. You know, we want more people to come to any of our churches that we represent, right? We would love more more people in these pews. We would love to see people um, being a part of this fellowship. But here, I would say this: before you ever invite somebody in New Hope, invite them to yourself. Before you ever ask them to come on a Sunday morning or to one of your events, invite them to Starbucks or your favorite or a restaurant or a barbecue. We've got weather right now. Barbecue weather invite them to yourself invite them into be creative in these relationships the third thing is that they were all about jesus as the focused how do we keep our eyes on on the prize they did no matter what they wanted this guy to get in front of jesus but who was this guy the world saw them as a sinner not worthy of this. I wonder what it is for us when we're thinking about who do we want to get to know, want to get to Jesus. I hope it's everyone. I hope that we are, are stirred and our spirit is stirring towards I want anybody to come to know Jesus. But this person in particular, Bob in particular, was, was what we would say cringeworthy. People would see him and, and they would cringe. So who is that for you and me? You know, maybe we're coming upon uh, football season, so maybe it's the non-Seahawk fan, right? Oh, that's cringeworthy. But, but, but thinking for real, is it the person at the end of the off-ramp that you don't want to make eye contact with because they're asking for money? Is it the ultra-rich neighbor that seems to be interested only in his or her toys, and you're like, ah, I don't really like them because they already have everything? Is it the person that watches the news channel that is opposite of your political views is it the person who participated in the in the parade or the protest last month you see nothing caused jesus to recoil what is it that causes us to recoil this is the person that these guys went after to bring to jesus i know in my life a lot of times i'm not going after anybody let alone the person who thinks differently than me uh, ideologically. I don't, I don't really necessarily want to be friends with that person. I, I, I want to sometimes live in my own echo chamber. But these guys went after their friend who was seen as a sinner. But they kept their eyes on Christ. Question that I have for us as we kind of start to wrap up and, and wind this, uh, this flight down, look for the landing is what about us? Next slide. What about us? If we were there, who are we in this story? See, the participants we have is we have the doubter, we have the onlookers, we have the friend, and we have the one in need of healing. Who are you today? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were the doubters. Some of us in this room have been raised in the church, we've heard these stories, and yet we still are at this place of just doubt. You know, I I. I don't think that this is really true. And sometimes we're, we want to push back. It's just, I don't have enough faith right now. Those people were in that room. The question is, they saw a transfer in life because Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and take your mat and walk away. I want you to know how astonishing this was. We all know Bob. That town all knew this guy. They knew that he could not walk. They knew it was impossible. He literally had no muscles in his calves or in his thighs. Or, so there was, it atrophied completely. So he had no strength, and yet Jesus gave him the strength. They got up, he got up, and he walked. Even the doubters had to reconcile that in their head. Have you seen a transformed life of a Christian? Have you seen when somebody has really given their lives to Jesus and seen that transformation in their, in their walk? If you haven't, man, surround yourself with somebody that can walk with you in the life transformation that they've been through. You had innocent bystanders that just heard about this, that they heard about this guy Jesus, and they're like, we want to see what he's going to do today. You're the onlooker. Maybe that's you today. Maybe this is the first time you've set foot in a church in a long time, and you're just going, you know what? I just want to check this out. Here's what I'd say. Keep checking it out. Find out for yourself if this is really true. Be that onlooker, but be that curious onlooker. Start digging into the Word yourself. Again, find somebody else that will walk through it with you. The friend. We're going to spend a little bit of time at the end here talking about the friend. I think most of us are wanting to be motivated to be the friend. And the last one is the one in need of healing. Perhaps today, that's your day for you to be healed. Here was Bob, a sinner, who who got to encounter Jesus. You and I are sinners who get to encounter Jesus. At age 17, I went to Malibu, Canada, and I got to hear that I was a sinner. I already knew that I was a sinner, but I really got to hear it in light of the gospel and that Jesus chased after me. The story of the prodigal son is what got me. When I understood the father turning and uh, or seeing his son returning home, and he ran after him, and that's what I felt. It's like, man, that is me. I'm somebody who who Jesus is actually seeking. Jesus is seeking you, sinner. Some of us are Christians that just know that you're paralyzed by your own sin right now and your healing is that you need to give that up and you need, to, you need to move on from that and you need help in that. Today could be that day of healing and help. Let's talk about the one that I think we're probably mostly motivated by in this last one and that's that friend. A lot of us would say, man, I hope that in this story, I am the person that's counterintuitive, that's creative, that's, go- that's focused on Christ, and I want to get a friend to Jesus. Preventing us. Next slide. What is it that prevents us? What is it that's hindering us? Or what's our excuse, essentially? First one I'd say is we fear rejection, Right? We wonder if our, we're, we're trying to, to share Jesus with somebody, share our story with somebody, if they're just going to out and out reject us. And here's what I'd say. If it's just about attending New Hope, they, they might reject that. But if it's about involving yourself and getting involved in relationship with them, inviting them to your coffee shop or restaurant or to your backyard for a barbecue, yeah, they might reject you because they're busy on Thursday night but they're probably not rejecting you wholeheartedly. So Thursday may not work, but what about Sunday? And maybe they don't want to come for a barbecue, but they will meet you for coffee. Right? Being creative, being uh, seeking after, we'll get past that. Second reason why we don't say, share sometimes is we bought the lie that we're not ready. We think we need to perfect our faith before we can share our faith. You know, evangelism and discipleship should never be separated in Scripture. It's, it's the two, two sides of a coin, heads and tails. Discipleship is evangelism, and evangelism is discipleship. They can't be separated. I think maturing in Christ and sharing Christ are, are those two sides, and they're supposed to be together. And we fear that we will not have the right answer, and so we, we shut up before we even share because we fear that we're not going not gonna to represent Jesus well. I think that evangelism actually sparks the maturing in Christ. When I'm going out and sharing my faith with somebody and just trying to be entering into relationships, relationship, sometimes they ask me questions that I don't know the answers to. And that's when I turn to Reuben and say, "Reuben, what should I say? But that's the reality. I network with other Christians because sometimes I don't have the answers. You know, we network with other Christians and we come to church because we don't, sometimes don't have the answers. Because we're out sharing Jesus... We need to come back so that we can grow in Jesus and vice versa. Because we're growing in Jesus, we go out sharing Jesus. So get over that fear of rejection. Get over that fear of not knowing by actually starting to learn, by investing in the word. And the last reason is that we haven't had it modeled. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of people that we're looking up to that are very much going out and sharing Jesus. We like our holy huddles quite a bit. We like our echo chambers quite a bit. We need some leaders to step up and just say, you know what, I'm investing in lost people. I want the unchurched to understand who Jesus is. The practical, the last slide. I invite us all to prioritize this in our life by telling stories. The reality is this, every single person has a story. Some of you think that your story is boring. You became a Christian, saved at VBS when you were in third grade. You know, the reality is that or the, the, the exciting testimony of, I was 18 years old and I got saved from drugs, rock and roll, sex, all that type of stuff. And here's the, the reality, that every single one of us that's in Christ has the same testimony, and that's Christ crucified for our sins. Amen? That is our testimony. That is the power. We see here testimonies sometimes that take 10 minutes glorifying the sins of the past and 30 seconds actually talking about the act of the Savior. And I'd say, no, the real power is in what Jesus did for us and what he did for Bob on this mat that day. He's done that for you and me. That's the power of the gospel in our lives. You don't have to be gifted in sharing Christ. don't have to be gifted. We just have to be obedient. Look to do practical stuff in the lives of other people. Look to be creative in the lives of your neighbors and your coworkers and your family in loving them well. Let me pray for you and pray for us. Jesus, we're so thankful for the opportunity to open your word, to hear stories. Lord, we pray that we'd be creating stories by entering into the lives of other people. When we went up to Alaska in nineteen ninety eight, Lord, we had no idea what you were gonna do in and through us here at, at New Hope. But God, you did miracles. And then for subsequent years we went into hundreds of communities and got to share Jesus and hear and and, and share the story of Jesus. God, it's not about mission trip, it's about mission ship. And we are missionaries here. And so whether it be Starbucks or Boeing or Fairwood or Kent, God, I pray that we would be missionaries there. That it wouldn't be about increasing attendance at any one church, but it would be about people understanding the work and the power of Jesus. Help us to be faithful in sharing that story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.